We're in the, the book of Romans. Would you please turn with me to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans? This is a, an amazing place in Scripture, and it is a place for as long as the church is, has read this particular text, this place in Scripture, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. There have been interpreters who have disagreed as to whether the person that, that Paul is writing about is either himself or a believer, or maybe even a non-believer. And so there have been whole movements that have arisen to promote which side is correct. Now this passage, whatever side you land on, and, and the way I like to teach the Bible is to give you all the sides so that you can kind of make up your mind. I will tell you, in front of all of this, I believe without question this is Paul. And I believe Paul is showing us transparently the innermost conflict that goes on within a person's heart between trying to be good and, and, and not, not being exactly what you want to be. You'll, when we read it, you'll see it very clearly. And I believe that's where this is. In fact, there, there's, there's evidence pretty strong that it, it had to be uh, Paul that wrote this. But one side maintains that, that this person is in too much bondage to sin to be a believer. Another group would say, well, this person has too much love for the things of God to be an unbeliever. And so what I'd like to do is to take a look at this place in Scripture because we're going to land here for a week or two. This is not a, this is not a place that, that any of us ought to rush through. This is a tremendous place in Scripture because it, I think it is the place that tells us that you... You don't have to worry if you've been knocked down. You don't have to worry if you've fallen short of what you were hoping you were to be as a believer in Jesus Christ. You can get back up. You can dust yourself off and get back in the race again. And Satan would love for you and me to think, well, you've blown it. There's, there's nothing now that you can do in the family of God. You just be a, a part of it all, but you can't, uh, you can't take any kind of uh, initiative because you've been knocked down. And I think Satan would love for you and me to, to slow down and stop in our process of, of loving and serving Him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strengths. And so what I'd like to do is take a look at this without an agenda. Just try to find the truth in what is being said here by Paul. Read with me these wonderful and marvelous words. And watch, well, we will see in time how this grows into the most spectacular place in all of Scripture. It's where, in, in chapter 8, where, where Paul talks of our, our victory, of who we are in Christ, and that we are overwhelmingly conquerors. It's a, this grows into a crescendo, if you would, of, of just magnificent words before the Lord for who we are as believers in Christ. So read with me, please, verses 14 through 25 of chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law. 
confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the member of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Listen to these last two verses. Paul writes, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He answers, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And so I think you can see clearly there is, a, there is a conflict going on in the writer of this particular place. If this is Paul, which I believe, you can see that he is being transparent with you and me. He's allowing us to see here he is an apostle. And yet he is saying that I too have this struggle between wanting to do good and on the other hand doing evil. Who's going to set me free? And that's the... That's the ultimate answer to this place in Scripture that will hopefully set all of us free. Hopefully get us to a place that we don't allow ourselves to be down and stay out of the race, but to get back in, serving the Lord. Father, we want to come before you to ask your blessings upon this time. I would love, Father, please, that you would hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of your word. I would ask, dear Lord God, that you would uh, open up our eyes and our minds, our hearts, our innermost beings, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Help me not to interfere with what you want to say to every single one of us here this morning, dear Father. Help me not to get in the way of what you want to say. Bless us, please, dear Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the, every single person here. And, and those that are visiting, Lord, that, that come from different places, like in the first service, someone from Texas, and in this service, someone from Illinois. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we have those that come and visit us and, and in their family have been entrusted them to us. Father, may we entrust them to you and that you would bless them. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, um, those who believe that, that Paul is speaking about an unbeliever, they state that the person, as it says in chapter 7 and verse 14, it says that, that this person is uh, sold into the bondage of sin. It says in verse 18, there is nothing good dwelling in him. Verse 24, wretched man that he is, trapped in this body of death. On the other hand, 
those who believe that Paul is speaking about a believer point out that he says in verses 15, verse 19, and verse 21 that this person desires to obey the law of God, even hates doing evil. In verse 18, they say that this person is humble, wishing to do good. Verse 17 through 22, they see this inner battle against sin. But that's not all that is within this person. Not just sin, but good. And they see in verse 25, ultimately, he gives thanks to Jesus Christ as his Lord. All the while saying that he is serving him with his mind. Now what we learned in chapter 6, that none of these things characterize uh, the unsaved. By that I mean, Paul explained in chapter 6, say for instance verse 2, having been died to sin. Chapter, verse 6, having our old self being crucified with the Lord. Verse 7, 18 and 22 of chapter 6, being freed from sin. Verse 11, considered himself as dead to sin. Verse 17, being obedient from the heart to the very word of God. What we know about an unbeliever is clear up to this point. Paul has taught us, especially in chapter 1, this is, I know, a while ago, in verses 18 to 32, we saw that an unbeliever not only hates the truth of God, this is chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, they not only hate God's word, but they suppress it. They reject the natural evidences of God all around them. They don't honor Him as God, nor do they give thanks to God. All the while, knowing full well that there is a God, because He made Himself evident to them. He even says that, and then He says, You are without excuse, those of you who say there is no God. And in the last verse of chapter 1, verse 32, they not only disobey the law of God, they also encourage others to do the very same thing, to disobey the Word of God. So it seems certain that in chapter 7, Paul seems to be talking about an, inner more, an innermost battle going on within a person. I think it's himself, and I'll try to prove that to you in a moment. And Paul is talking about this wrestling match that goes on within one's innermost being. And Paul is being fully transparent with us. He indicates that the believer must continually do battle with sin in his innermost being without and throughout their lives, I should say. Here's what he admonished us in chapter 6. Let's remind ourselves of what Paul said in chapter 6 about this battle that goes on. Look at chapter 6 and look at verse um, 11 first. Even so, Paul says, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he says, therefore, since you are dead to sin, alive to God, consider yourselves, excuse me, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Verse 13, and do not go on, presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But rather, he says, in the middle of verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so he admonishes us to, to deal with this battle within our very innermost being. It seems that Paul is describing the life of a person 
that I am hoping I'm talking to right now. A person who is desiring to grow in their faith. Not someone who is content with just staying stagnant, just coming to church and that's enough. No, I, I think Paul is speaking and I am speaking to those of us who wish to come to church and not stay stagnant but grow in our faith, become mature, become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying is when we measure ourselves against God's standard of righteousness, we realize how short of God we fall. But what he wants to do is to encourage you and me not to give up. No, as a matter of fact, as we go through this chapter, as we go through next week, for instance, we're going to see there's not only a problem, of course, but there is a solution, and he will show us how, how to deal with it. He will give us the solution to the problem. You see, the closer you and I get to our walk with God, the more we're going to see our own selfishness, the more we're going to see our desperate need for a Savior. That is the reason we study the Bible. The Bible is given to us, those of us, to read the Bible, I've said this over and over again, is not so that we'll feel good about ourselves. This is written to those of us who want to examine it to see how desperately we need a Savior. As a matter of fact, we just read just a moment ago in this chapter, look at verse 16 again a little more closely. Chapter 7, verse 16. He says, if Paul, I believe Paul is saying this, but if I do the very thing I don't wish to do, I agree with the law. What do I agree with the law with? Paul says, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. This, the law shows us how wonderful God is, how beautiful and, and, and awesome our God is, and how desperately we need to cling to Him. That's what the law was given for. Dr. J. Vernon McGee confesses the older he became, the more mature he became in the Lord, the more and more he realized he needed a Savior every day. Not, not for those big things. Those big things he's weaned himself from, he said. Those other sins that he used to do when he was a younger man. No, those aren't the ones that are troubling him. It's narrowing down into those little things that come, uh, the battle from within, those little sins that just wear us down if we're not careful. And so Dr. McGee confessed, the older he became in the Lord, the more he needed Jesus Christ. The more he saw how wonderful he is and how wretched, Dr. McGee used that word that he is. You see, the deepest level of spiritual insight brings about a brokenness within one's heart a contrition, a humility that characterizes the person that is depicted here in chapter 7. It's the ultimate of, of what we are to become, this innermost battle that goes on, that, that rages within us of, of wanting to do good for the Lord, but realizing and recognizing there is this battle that goes on within us. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 24, there are signs of spiritual, mature believer who before God realizes there is absolutely no trust in and of himself. He has no goodness, no achievements that he can stay, stand before God and say, boy, aren't you, aren't you lucky that I came to know you? You know, that, that's, that's not the place that we are. 
No, we, we trust and we rely upon Jesus Christ for the very essence of our salvation. There's nothing that you and I can do and stand before God and say, well, I've worked pretty much, I deserve some of this. No, we deserve none of the credit. None whatsoever. The more we understand of God, the more we realize that we cannot trust in our own goodness nor our own accomplishments. So it appears that the one who is making this statement must be Paul. Here's why I say that. The use of the first person singular, which appears 46 times in Romans chapter 7 alone, it speaks that it has to be Paul speaking about himself. Now, I've said to you already, there are other opinions. And if you believe that this is someone else, I'm fine with that. I'm not about to argue with you. In fact, I won't argue with you. But I, at this time, just can't come to believe that. I believe this is Paul. But if you'll look in my book, Bible, you'll see there's hardly any place in here that's written in ink. I don't write in my Bible in ink. The reason is, I want to erase my mistakes when I write something in, if I learn something differently, if I understand something differently, I erase it and write in what is what I now know as truth. And so I don't write in here in ink. One time I was at a conference. I'll never forget this as long as I live. In fact, I can show you where it is. It's in 1 John. I mean, I, I see it right in my Bible. Yeah. Billy Zioli did it. I was sitting there and he grabbed my Bible and he underlined that and he wrote down something about me and he did it in ink and I I mean I like gasped I was I didn't say anything to him I kept my cool but I wanted to say Billy don't ever do that again write in pencil if you want to write in my Bible not in ink but that's about one of the only places the rest of it's all in pencil so I can erase it if I need to Paul is showing us here being a mature spiritual apostle that he is fighting against the same inner conflict that you and I fight against. I think that's the encouragement that Paul is trying to pass along to you and me. That we have a hope that we can, we can win this battle that we fight against sin. The reason I believe that is because I believe only a growing Christian believer would, would either experience or be concerned about such deep struggles of the heart and the mind and the conscience as Paul obviously is doing here in chapter 7. You see, more clearly and completely, Paul saw God's holiness, God's goodness, and the more he recognized and grieved over his sinfulness and shortcoming. If you think not, if you think this is the only place, then you're mistaken about Paul. This is nothing new for Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, Paul said this concerning himself, I am, he says, the least of the apostles. He says, I am not fit to be called an apostle. This is Paul speaking of himself. Why, Paul? Why are you the least? Why are you not fit to be called an apostle? He answers, he says, because I persecuted the church of God. Well, I'll ask you a question. When did he persecute the church of God? When he was a believer? No. No, he persecuted the church of God before the road to Damascus, before he came to know the Lord. Those sins were all done over with Paul, and yet Paul still carried them. Saying, I'm not fit to be an apostle. I'm, I'm the least of an apostle. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, 
Paul said this of himself. He called himself the very least of all the saints. Now, you got to remember, he wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I would like to say that's my position, but I can't. It's Paul's. The very least of all the saints. Listen, though. But, he says, grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Uh, I think with that you can see how much I love Paul. Because I, I relate to Ephesians 3.8 deeply. Very least of all the saints. But grace, grace has been given so as to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 15, Paul marveled that the Lord would have, as he says, considered him faithful enough to put him into service because he says, I am the foremost of all sinners. That's Paul. This isn't the only time that Paul has shown us his transparent innermost being. This isn't the first time he has let us look inside and see who he, he is. I mean, Paul sounds like kind of me in a sense of being seeing things half full. In fact, that would be bragging if I told you I saw things half full, or half empty, I should say. I see things empty, and my bucket's got a hole in it. It's tough to live like that. It's tough to think that, that you fall short and that, that it's just tough. Let me just leave it at that. And if you want to know what I mean, I, I might tell you. But it's tough. It's tough, to, it's tough to live like that. You see, only a new creation in Jesus Christ lives with such tension of sin versus righteousness. Because only a true believer in Jesus Christ has this divine nature living within himself to help teach and convict him of or her of their sin. Paul wrote, I've said this last week, I think I said it the week before, I might even say it again next week, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified, Paul says, with Christ. But he says, it's no longer I who live, but it is, what, who? Christ who lives in me. That's the deal. That's the deal with Paul. Paul and you, and you, and you, and me, if we've come to trust in Christ, have the Spirit-given desire to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to be made perfect in righteousness. But still, still, sin clings to our humanness. Although in this innermost being of who we are, we hate and despise our sin nature. And there is the battle. And there is the deal in your life and my life. You're not, you're not a bad person because you fell short. You're a bad person if you don't get up and, and ask the Lord for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To, to fall short is, is human. To lay there in the dirt is, is wrong. Get up. Dust yourself off. Get back into the service unto the Lord. And so as Paul grows in his Christ-likeness, he becomes more and more aware of the continued presence and power of indwelling sin, which he longs to get rid of. 
just as I pray you and I do. You see, as long as you and I remain on this earth, as long as we're in this mortal, corrupt body, you and I are going to fight this battle against sin. And the law, now, once we've come to Christ, becomes our ally. What once showed us how desperately we need a Savior, now it is our encourager. Let me show you how. By that I mean the obedience, being obedient to a Spirit-filled believer. A Spirit-filled believer will greatly value the Word of God. It becomes a light unto his feet. Let me share. Listen to what is taught in Psalms 119, verse 11. It is the Word of God. Listen, the psalmist writes, 119.11, Your word, your word, O God, I have treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So all of a, all of a sudden, the Bible becomes our ally. It leads us to the very light that we ought to walk in. As a matter of fact, that same chapter of Psalms, Psalms 119, verse 105, says this, God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light to our path so that we might be guided by this, the very word of God. You see, God's word, once we've come to Christ, is more valuable to us today than ever before. Why? Why would I make that type of statement? Let me, let me share with you exactly why. When Jesus Christ was on this earth, He told the disciples He's going to go away. But He said to them, Don't worry, because I will send another. I will send a helper to be with you. He says in John chapter 14, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Another means another of the same kind. He's talking of the Holy Spirit that He might be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not know, behold Him or know Him. But you do. You know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. And then in the 26th verse of John chapter 14, He says, Jesus, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and He will bring to your remembrances all things that I've said to you. The next page on my Bible in the 16th chapter of the book of John says when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we have the fullness of God living within us, those of us who have trusted in Him. He indwells you in me to eliminate us, to teach us, to apply His truths into our life and how we live and how we act and react, and what we do with our lives. Now the law we have learned cannot save us, nor can it sanctify us. We've learned that. But, it, but we have been told in this same chapter, chapter 7 of Romans, in the 12th verse, that the law is holy, it is righteous, and it is good. And obedience to the law of God, the obedience to the Word of God, gives of great benefit to all of us who wish to follow it. There's one great theologian back in the 1700s. He observed that one of the certain signs of you and me being sanctified, setting ourselves apart, trying to be holy, once we've come to Christ, justified, just as if we've not sinned, we are justified once you come to Christ. Now, you and I are to be sanctified, setting ourselves apart. 
He says, once this theologian observed one certain sign of being sanctified is a distaste and anger against one's own sin. Let me add, if I have the boldness to add to this dear man who wrote these words, I might add, being sanctified is the beginning of separating oneself from those who might lead us towards sin. Finding new, mature believers to fellowship with, to encourage us. That's, that's why we gather together. We gather together so as to encourage one another. We gather together like this so as to, to help encourage and build each other up in the faith so that we can become all that God wants us to become. And each of us has a part in that. You have a part in my life, and by the grace of God, I have a part in your life. We, we all have a part. And so beginning in chapter 7 of Romans, verses 14 to 25, Paul uses the present tense exclusively, which refers to himself, it must, which I guess, again, say strongly supports the idea that Paul is describing his own self here in verses 14 to 25. He speaks of a conscious and determined battle against sin. Now get this. What we are going to learn next week on is there is a hope for you and me. We have won. Sin is no longer master over you or me. It is still a powerful enemy, but it no longer is our master. And we're going to learn this lesson with Paul. And needless to say, it begins and it ends with the Word of God. It's the only place. Thy word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you, O God. This is what we're going to learn. That's why I love you so much at this church. You're so faithful, so faithful to to want to have the Word of God preached, full counsel, not to skip or, or miss any section, but to learn as much as we can through all of it. I love you for that. In verses 14 to 25, Paul is going to teach us about the whole idea of justification and sanctification. In chapter 5, he taught us that we are secure in Christ. In chapter 6, he taught us that we are to be holy. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, he taught us that we are free and now, from chapter, I mean from verse 14 on, he will list the benefits that add to our sensitivity and hatred of sin. He gives us a series of spiritual predicaments that we will fall under, difficulties and the solution. I can't wait to teach it. And he concludes with a gratitude to God. Please look back down on your Bible at chapter 7. Look at the last two verses. But read on. It's a bad chapter break, to be honest with you. Chapter 8. It fits well with chapter 7. Paul says of himself, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he answers it. He says, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one hand, I find myself with my mind serving the law of God, but with the other hand, on the other hand, he says, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And then he says, there is therefore, what? Verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation 
to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me read the second verse. I don't know it by heart. It says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's the good news. And so if you've been knocked down, and I believe all of us have at one time or another been knocked down by Satan, and if you're still down there, I want to encourage you, get up. God is so forgiving you. Ask Him to forgive you of whatever it is that's knocked you down. Get back up in the race. Trust in Him to help you in whatever it is that you want to do with your life. He loves you so much. When we get into chapter 8, it's just going to be, I mean, it'll be a, a tear time, I, I believe. And all these things, Paul says, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We've got a great Savior. Father in heaven, I think all of us can relate to the fact that there's this wrestling match going on within our heart of hearts. Sadly, Father, that I would love to lose that, but I, as I understand Scripture, that's not going to happen until I stand before you throne of grace and I rid myself of this, this body and so Lord I ask your blessings upon us here that we would uh, that we would walk with you and that Father we would stand strong through this battle that we go on in this life in which we live bless us dear Father please bless this church I beg of you, Father, please. I thank you for everybody here. Those that are visiting, God bless them, please. For those that come every week, truly bless them as well. And now, Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless us all. Amen.